Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Happy New Year to you too. Um, I hope you had a a swell holiday season. It was all right. It wasn't too bad. Um, we have got into a bit of like we've got a bit of a tournament going on. Um, me, Mister Biggs, and my dad because we recently taught my dad and I recently taught him how to play dominoes. Okay. So um, he's played I think two games with us now. <laughs> And now it's like my dad calls me and he's like, like, because before we were on opposite teams. Yeah. My dad was like, you can't be on the same team as him because you've got to have a, you've got to have a domestic rivalry going on. <laughs> so, well, I'm planning on buying a set like for us Ooh. so we can practice. And I can't have him learning this game and starting to beat me. It can't happen. I have to. Especially have when to- you taught yeah I'd be playing much longer than him and I have to have some level of like one up one up on him basically so I'll be furious if he surpasses me and my abilities but um yeah I keep telling him I was like one person you won't be able to beat is my gran like she is very good at it She's like as sly as a fox when it comes to dominoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if you're good at maths as well, yeah. then you're like, it, it works in your favour. And my grand's really good at maths. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's what's been going on over the, the holiday period. You're probably, you're probably quite unique there because I feel like the entire world on Instagram has suddenly got into chess because of the Queen's Gambit. Oh, I'm not even going to start with chess. I have no idea. Like, that like, is not a game for me. I swear we used to go to chess club. Yeah, we did. Our, our form tutor was, was, was chess. So it was listeners, dear listeners, we were oh very bizarre at school. So we that's a whole different conversation we'll never bizarre, But we were always told that we couldn't be inside sort of for like lunchtime or break time. <laughs> so Mim and I literally took up so many school clubs so we could be inside like that was kind of part of it we were also odd mm, yeah but it was definitely part of it was like well at least we can then be inside <laughs> yeah so for those listeners um this is where Scarlett's passion for knitting really springs I from we did it at school yeah yeah and then yeah, that it was, was one of the clubs too yeah yeah for a while like people were knitting on the bus Wow, well, it's a different time. Yeah, so we did do stuff like that. I can't play chess. I'm not going to try. It's really a game that you pick up if you want to look smart. I think mm-hmm. I can play like superficial chess in terms of I know what all the pieces do and I can like read the board as it is. Oh, I can't even do that. But like, I can't preempt like what mm-hmm. the other person might mm-hmm. do and like mm-hmm. think ahead. I'm very like in the moment, which is literally the opposite of the way you need to play chess yeah that's kind of what you need with dominoes as well Mm. like you have to be able to um count what is remaining you know like what dominoes haven't been put down and who's basically been passing on certain (laughs) numbers because then that's how you learn how to catch them out that's how you can like think ahead and be like okay well I think they've got so and so if they put that down I can put this down so I think with all those sorts of games you have to have foresight to win yeah so I think we found our newest podcasters (laughs) (laughs) talking about board games and pastimes for very lockdown (laughs) friendly Uh, thing (laughs) yeah the first part of our podcast is never about fashion 
I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, say yeah. that, should we get it back on track to uh, your fashion story? Your first one of the year. My first one of the year. Okay, I'll start. So you've probably seen on social here and there the north face have collabed with gucci have you seen Mm -hmm. the video of the collection so there was a film made by daniel shea and it's to kind of show us what this collection this collaboration is going to be like it's actually the first inter-brand collaboration that alessandro michele has done Normally they do collaborations with like other artists and um, individuals, but North Face is not new to this. They've done other things with other companies and brands. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I was doing a little bit of research on kind of like what this is about. And someone, a YouTuber made a good point of um, the idea of maybe luxury brands as we've mentioned like with Montclair Genius and things like that these luxury brands partner with these performance wear brands Mm -hmm. that are specialized in I don't know extreme sports or outdoor sports and things like that to kind of bring a sportswear element a technical element to their designs and I think because it's quite interesting that we are buying more into athleisure Mm-hmm. than ever as we said and, and it's North, become more North of a luxury good huge like yeah. you can't go for a walk these days no and not see like those they're called the nupsy coats those puffer pu- ones yeah the puffer ones that like are quite short as well not the mm. most practical must i add um mm. but i do like to be wrapped up like a raccoon Head to toe yeah um but you see them everywhere mm-hmm. like they're everywhere really so it's a really it's a really clever collab yeah Definitely. So, so that kind of idea of the the future of technical performance wear and things, but also for Gucci, who has been trying to like move into conscious, environmentally friendly practices. Um, some of the accessories in this collection is made from recycled materials. I think some Amazing. like the boots and things. So, yeah, it kind of makes sense. And um, embracing the great outdoors, but. As you can imagine, if you haven't seen this video or any of the pieces, it's very 70s inspired. Mm-hmm. They take these like North Face silhouettes and like plaster them with these 70s patterns. Um, yeah, it is cool. I mean, I don't, I'm not a fan of the logo. Have you seen it? Uh, I actually can't think of what it is off the top of my head. So it's the typical North Face logo and then at the bottom it says Gucci and it's like it continues oh. that like arch continues into the gucci um colors it's uh, not crazy about it but i guess it's like it's temporarily isn't it and also i i guess as well you can't there's probably a reluctance to put like the ggs or like anything like you know what Mm. like there'll probably be some like branding or logo sort of reason as to why it has to be just a bit plain i don't know it's i don't know if it's that because they do have a couple they have a jacket in particular which is covered in the gucci monogram mm-hmm. but the logo i think they try to be a bit whimsical mm. um yeah it's not a massive deal but anyway it launches on the fourth so it would already be out by the time we put this episode out um in selfridges and if you go on gucci's website they have like a raffle so i don't think it's like first come first serve type of thing i think you have to be like selected to get your hands on this collection which makes it very very exclusive yeah fab yeah so what's yours so mine is i've made my stance Mm -hmm. on trackies very clear but i think i'm about to be a real convert so I've been thinking this entire festive period how much I want a matching tracksuit. Oh, you have to. And like you said, it makes you look way less scruffy. It's something that you can wear in the house, but then like as soon, if you need to pop outside, like you look like you've made an effort. Mm-hmm. And I just think the time has come. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to share it with everybody. Um, oh. <laughs> Welcome to, welcome to Trackies Anonymous. 
Oh, I just like, well, because like, you know, I, I got my Halloween costume thing, which had conveniently had some trackies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they are fab. Like, they are so, like, I don't know. I've just, I think trackies have changed a lot. Like, when we were kids, trackies were just, at one point it was synonymous with, like, chav culture and stuff like that. But also you never got, like, just take like I don't know the ones that I've got are relatively like sort of like tailored or tapered so like they're mm-hmm. not just like hugely like ridiculous um whereas like when I was a kid like they just used to be just not very great yeah I think that um a lot of uh, I don't know a lot of fashion thinking has gone into mm. track suits yeah. now before it was kind of like just a few options like out yeah there. but the now they've were. yeah now there's so many different options out there to so me cuts colors that you mm. there's something out there for everyone but like you can always start off with a classic which is not the cheapest option but <clears throat> sorry the adidas ones they're classic right. they look good and because they're kind of like nylon-y I think they wash and wear quite well as opposed to like the cotton ones, mm. you know. Yeah, so I, I, I really don't know where I'm going to start. Part of me is like, you know, just go for like a grey sort of like vibe. But mm. then I'm kind of like, oh no, just go for it. But I don't know. I'll keep you guys mm. updated. Yeah. It's also something where I know if I get one, I'll want more <laughs> though, which is slow. a real problem. But I, I, I eat my hat. I eat my hat. You know what? It happens to the best of us. I don't, don't know if it. it's also some sort of like knowledge that like we're not we're not getting out of here we're not ever. getting out of here <laughs> soon and like and I d- don't get me wrong every now and then like or not even every now and then I do love to dress up and like there are days where like I will dress up and like I'm not going anywhere and I love like I love the act of makeup and getting dressed and whatever but there are also days where I couldn't give less of a shit and mm. I kind of want something like that for those days where like I was saying this to our mutual friend Faith the other day like when you don't get dressed up or make an effort for a little while it can actually Mm -hmm. sometimes like not be a great thing because Mm. then you sort of like get in this little funk so I think those might be the outfits that you reach on a day where you're like I kind of just want to wear my pajamas but I will I will shower and put this on and yeah yeah, for sure Yeah, yeah I get what you mean um I mean, you listeners can't see me, but <laughs> Scarlett can see me E.T. right now. And I absolutely look like E.T. And nothing I've got on right now matches. I look like, I look like a worm, pretty much. No, but like, that is a, that is a re- I really like Sorry. the jumper. No, this jumper is actually black. I got it from weekday. You know, um, hold on, you look shocked, but bear with me. Let me explain the story okay. to you. You know, weekday, they do really yeah. good, like, recycled, 100% cotton yeah. trackies and whatnot. That's a good place to look. Okay. Um, anyway, I was cleaning the bathroom <gasps> a couple months ago, and I had this really st- strong bleach spray, yeah. and I got a bit on it, and I was like, oh, shit. And it was all black, right. and then it, it bleached it. So I had to just go to town, I had to take off the jumper, go to town, spray it back on. So now I've got this burn. It's like a modern tie-dye. <laughs> this is, is tie-dye, but this was completely accidental. I just had to run with Love it, it because otherwise. Yeah. So it used to be black. Now it's like got this copper colour. Which is quite an unusual like black undertone, you know? You wouldn't yeah. expect it to go that colour, yeah, but it's nice. Yeah, maybe mm. I should get the... I do contemplate getting the trousers and, and doing the those. same, yeah. But, um, but yeah, so that's what, I mean... You were talking about, you know, those days where you just can't bother to get dressed. <laughs> I'm living through that now today. It's allowed. It is mm. allowed. We interrupt this broadcast to remind you go follow us on Instagram, starloversubstancepod. Shoot us an email, starloversubstancepeak at gmail.com. Find us on YouTube. Find us on Twitter. We've got all the links on our Instagram. You know what to do. But yeah, so we thought we'd kick off this year 
with a brand episode and who else better to do a brand episode on than Saint Laurent yeah Saint Laurent formerly known as Yves Saint Laurent yeah well I think this is a brilliant um brand to start off with because within like European luxury fashion it's one of the best known Mm -hmm. um him himself as a designer worked for other brands yeah. as a staple in you know last century's kind of a fashion movement for sure. and because we've all heard of the brand very often people don't know the story behind it or the history behind it and its significance in culture and yeah we we previously when we were talking about um the kind of past shows mm. um kind of pre-fallen things we discussed a lot about um, Saint Laurent and we just thought, let's do a proper, give it a proper episode. Yeah, and it's also a relatively new label that has mm-hmm. firmly cemented itself as like a core label. And mm-hmm. I know that has mm-hmm. happened with a few other labels in around a similar time, but it just happened so quickly. And like, I myself didn't know even how meteoric his rise was and just how suddenly quickly it happened. Mm. But I think that if you didn't know the story of Yves Saint Laurent, I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah, so. yeah, I think it, and I think also the history of this brand goes to show just how much these creative directors kind of move around. Yeah, um, <laughs> and and also like as you said, his rise or the the notoriety of the brand is in part because he had a business partner yeah which we'll get into um who kind of funded it he was a businessman like you take chanel she was her operation was funded yeah. by someone um, you need those monies you do and i think that's an important part of these mega brands becoming mega brands you know um we have a lot of um, up and coming smaller businesses and small brands coming mm. up now, which is completely self-funded, which is amazing. Um, but a lot of these big houses really did get these like financial injections. And I think there's something probably quite special that comes out of, obviously, yes, it's lovely to have the financial backing, mm. but like when you can operate for your first season Mm. thinking that and obviously we'll get into it but like he he had experience working in a fashion house so he knew how it sort of worked but like you just operate like because you've got the financial book backing so you don't even have to be like oh I really need this to do well or I'm only going to make three Mm. pieces and work my Mm. way up you can operate like no I'm doing a full collection you have the creative freedom to that's going to be really cool yeah and that's not something that unfortunately happens as often these days because there's so many people trying to do it and also like it's it's not an easy thing to invest in anymore I mean it also goes to show that you you have to think about the people that these designers at a certain time in history they were mingling with people who were artistic and Mm -hmm. mingling with people who had money and you had to be in the circle you know you had to know people to make these things happen so yeah, that's actually a really good point as well that it made me think of like artists did tend to run in quite like and I'm saying artists in a loose term of like mm, designers mm-hmm. and artists, they did tend to move in very wealthy circles. Yeah. I know it now is sort of the phrase of like a struggling artist or something mm. like that. But like back in the day that was you mixed with sort of wealthy people because I guess that's where the inspiration came from and mm. like maybe you had to be wealthy to want to be an artist. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that reminds me of during the like late 70s and 80s when you had things like Studio 54. Mm-hmm. You had like yeah. Basquiat, you had um, Grace Jones and Diana Ross and they knew, oh God, pop art artist, what's his name? Oh, gone Andy blank. Warhol. Warhol. And they knew each other on a personal level and yeah. used to work in each other's warehouses and things like that. And so... You know, as Warhol had his interview magazine, he was able to like get everyone he knew and his friends who were yeah. coming up at the time to kind of come up with him, and that's how. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a it's a very like art art kid scene, but yeah. yeah, interesting story nonetheless. So, um, should we start with a little bit of history on 
Yves Saint Laurent, the man himself, or do you want yeah. to go with the brand first? Let's do the man himself. Okay. Yeah. Do you want to yeah. start with his ridiculously long name? No, you can do it. <laughs> I'm going to butcher it, but his name is Yves Henri Donat. I guess maybe Donat. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Matthew or mm-hmm. Matthew <laughs> Saint, <laughs> Saint Laurent. Yeah. So Yves Henri Donat, Matthew Saint Laurent. Yeah, really long. He was born in 1936 and he was naturally quite a creative person. He mm. sort of spent his time being very creative and very much took to the arts at school and whatever. Mm-hmm. And in 1953, he submitted sketches to a contest like a design contest and he Mm -hmm. won first place and the Mm -hmm. award ceremony was held in Paris so he stayed in Paris and then he met the then editor-in-chief of French Vogue and they saw some of his sketches that he brought to this exhibition or whatever this like fashion exhibition was Mm -hmm. and so they were basically talking about it. The editor-in-chief of Vogue was very much impressed. And the editor-in-chief of Vogue was like good friends with Kristen Dior. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so the reason that this is important is basically that the sketches were very similar to those of Kristen Dior. Mm. And so I guess that's super impressive. Like, to have the same sort of sketch skill as somebody who's been in the game at that point for a while and is obviously as famous as Dior would have been then. And it's the idea of like Dior, he was seen as ahead of his time when he kind of established his um, couture house. And it was someone else recognising the talent to push fashion forward in the same way that Christian Dior was able to. Yeah, definitely. And remember, this has just come after sort of like the new look and all of that Mm, stuff. mm -hmm. That's like a real high time for Dior. Mm -hmm, And can I just add, he beat out Karl Lagerfeld to win this like sketch competition. Mm. And I don't know if you've like seen Karl Lagerfeld's sketches. Like he can sketch so quickly and like, I don't know, I love them, but I guess that's because it goes part and parcel with Chanel. But like you see like documentaries or something of how quickly he would just draw out these sketches. Yeah. And they weren't perfect or anything like that. They were just like they gave you that like impression the of essence the, of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically the editor in chief of Vogue, his name was um Michel de Bronhoff. Okay. And um, he introduced or showed the sketches to Dior mm-hmm. and they were interested in his talent immediately. And he basically spent, he became an intern basically there yeah. immediately. Mm-hmm. And so he interned at Dior and his first year was just spent doing what interns do, mundane tasks. Um, and then slowly but surely he was allowed to submit sketches for the couture shows. And with every passing seasons, more of his sketches were accepted by Dior. And then, um, in August of 1957 Mm -hmm. so he's only sort of probably been at Dior for like three and a half four years Mm. Dior basically meets with Saint Laurent's mother to say that he's chosen Saint Laurent to succeed him Mm -hmm. he was very much a protege yeah Mm. and so like that's like crazy I've worked at companies for four years and I've barely got promotion. <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you mean. It was just um, a more, I suppose, it goes to show the intimacy of yeah, and also like fashion at that time. It does just happen. There's that one person who's like outrageously talented and skillful and mm. they've just got it. And I guess as well, especially if you can work well creatively with somebody, that's mm. like a real, like yeah. that's a real moment. But, and so very weirdly, that year, Christian Dior died. So I'm not shouting conspiracy, but that year... <laughs> he Christian... killed him off. That's so, what I'm saying. <laughs> so the reason I said August 57 is that he died in the October. So like, not too long yeah. after. So like, I'm not I'm not claiming anything, but you know. Um, and then basically at 21, mm. Saint Laurent was the head designer of the House of Dior. Yeah, like that is mad, and it's also sorry to interject. um, It's quite 
like looking at the history of the brand and the man himself and everyone that kind of follows in mm-hmm. subsequently, it really goes to show that all this happened in one lifetime. Like, yeah, we, we almost <laughs> like mythologize Christian mm-hmm. Dior and oh. YSL and all these people. And it's you like, forget that they were alive. Like they were all alive then? at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> And and these people knew each other as yeah. actual people and not as this like massive conglomerate that we know today. And I mean, don't want to skip ahead too much in the future, but Yves Saint Laurent, he didn't die that long ago. No. Within our lifetime. And yeah. like to think that these people lived not just through the war, but through so much turmoil of like the the ninth the sorry, twentieth century. And it's like they all knew each other. How weird. It's like yeah. a weird revelation of time. But yeah, anyway, carry on. <laughs> um, no, but it, it, that's so true. So his first season at Dior went really well. It was received really well. And they think it definitely helped um, to save the, in- the enterprise from mm-hmm. um, some difficulties it was going through. And then I think his time was spent very tumultuously as in like some collections would be really celebrated. And I imagine Mm -hmm. that this was like, like, do you remember the pressure that Raph Simmons had when he, like that first Dior collection? I can only imagine it was so much bigger than that. Mm -hmm. Like that first person who takes over the named owner of a Mm -hmm. brand, especially like Dior and like having this like rise, like he did, I bet it was just so like, watched and um anticipated and and readily critiqued Mm, and all mm -hmm. of that stuff um so yeah he it had quite a tumultuous reception and he had lots of different people wanting to design wedding dresses and all of that stuff and basically um a big thing with Saint Laurent is he had a lot of problems he Mm. had some like he had some health problems he had Mm -hmm. addictions Mm -hmm. and so he had some tricky times and actually resulted in suing Dior and there was a whole it was a very sad basically end to what could have like what was an amazing like rise imagine Mm -hmm. even if that happened to me if if I had a job at Dior it'd be like, like the most like exciting thing so to be like appointed that and be the protege and then like it just suddenly end so quickly and that like happened really fast as well this is in like 1960 so he's Mm. only there for like well he's head designer for three years that's really not that long but like it was a really pivotal point I think in Saint Laurent but also Dior yeah so that kind of takes us up Mm -hmm. to him establishing his namesake brand so in 1961 along with Pierre Berger he started his brand mm-hmm. he said the wrong ysl or Saint Laurent, and um it was and still is best known for its tuxedo jackets and suits for women which is called le smoking, le smoking. <laughs> le smoking. and um which is really forward like we discussed mm. this a little bit on our our end of year episode with the harry styles and address thing but like yeah I don't and I was actually watching an old like top of the pops best of the 80s thing over Christmas and the I don't know if we just live in a different time but like the men would be wearing such like such heavy faces of makeup they would Mm. be wearing such like bold and crazy outfits because it was just the trend or it was a new romantics or whatever movement it was or even if it was punk Mm -hmm. they would be like decked out and no one blinked an eye like it was I don't know if it was a more accepting time or that I I said to my parents when we were watching it I think it's more of a time where we need a label for anybody Mm. like and so like it wasn't necessarily uh, an expression of their sexuality or anything like that. Mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. was just, it was just fashion. 
Yeah, it was like especially the 80s, 70s and 80s. Mm. I mean, in the 70s, you saw men wearing heeled boots. Yeah. <laughs> actual high heels. Yeah. And in the 80s, as you said, so much makeup, so much glitter, so many tight trousers and pants, open yeah. shirts, nail polish. And, you know, you're saying the whole Harry Styles thing. Now we're like, gasp in horror. I mean, back then, people did criticise these fashion trends. Yeah. But it was celebrated as this innate, this creativity or like rebellious yeah. nature. Yeah. So that is true. But to give context to, like, the smoking suit or the tuxedo suit. But that's super, like, fast forward or that super, like... Mm-hmm like the fact that it's an androgynous look for a woman is really futuristic and quite, um, I don't know, again, like they were so, accept- everyone celebrated it. No one was like, a suit for a woman. Um, well, the thing is, I think people probably did. I mean, the people yeah. who probably write the, the history. Yeah, the stiff upper lips. Yeah, the people who write the history about the success of Yves Saint Laurent and what he did are probably mm. people who were in the fashion industry and saw it for the great thing that it was. Um, so I'm sure there were probably lots of people who didn't like it, but then they just get relegated to the the back of history, I suppose. Um, but yeah, just to give context to to those listening, to go from Christian Dior, which created this silhouette, this small waist, this <laughs> yeah. big skirt, and was an incredibly feminine brand. You know, lots of embroidery, lots of beading, lots of tool. Um, he, I mean, he designed, um, oh, um, Princess Anne's, like, mm. 21st birthday dress, you yeah. know. Um, very romantic in its fashion to then leave and then be like, no, I'm putting my, I'm putting these women in, like, three-piece suits, mm-hmm. double-breasted jackets, like, all black, Um it's a it's a complete 180 in aesthetics so that's why it's so different but I think he was he was known for for pushing boundaries or or being quite um forward or modern for the times like I know a lot of his references were like non-European and he was also not like quite famous for using non-white models Mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. was actually like not such a common thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I think he I think he had this sort of very revolutionary very um very modern mind for yeah I and think which also, is surprising considering he came from I guess Dior that was much more historic yeah I think also North African influences like Algeria mm-hmm. and Morocco I mean we know like the famous blue house yeah um I believe it's in Morocco yeah correct me if I'm wrong yeah and um like Algerian background it's kind of brought in that sort of influence which was probably never really referenced in like top mainstream fashion you know yeah yeah it would be nice to go back in time and like witness it firsthand but Mm. um yeah so that was kind of like the beginnings of um YSL and what was happening there 1963 uh, a man called a.m cassandre he designed the logo at the time um and during the 60s and 70s really popularized this beatnik look safari jackets the tight trousers the knee-high mm-hmm. boots um knee-high boots is well sorry thigh-high boots i should say um, is what we've seen on the runways recently with yeah. Anthony Baccarello is doing these like patent leather skin tight boots with leggings and like pussy bow blouses and yeah. things like that. His most famous collections was pop art ones, a Picasso one. We can always like remember that mm-hmm. block colored dress, a line dress, and ballet russe, which is kind of a reference on again like. North African um, culture, um, embroidery on these like waistcoats and these mm-hmm. big old skirts, which were like emerald green and gold. And yeah, so those are his like biggest collections that really come to mind when you think of YSL. And he also was like the first big name to encourage ready to wear. Yeah, um, the ready-to-wear collection was called Rive Gauche, and it's a reference to the Seine in Paris, the river. Mm-hmm. And that 
as you can imagine, although many of our listeners weren't around at that time, but for like our parents' generation, for example, and you can just appreciate for the fact that before your things were tailored, made to measure, made to order and ready to wear allowed you to go into a shop, be like, this is my size and leave with that thing. And it like helped to democratize fashion in the same way that we see social media democratizes access to access to fashion and fashion Mm -hmm. shows and things you had access to like the latest designs um through or slightly altered designs through cheaper ready-to-wear options and so his collection really helped to popularize that as well which is massive when you think of its significance yeah and then we also have YSL Beauté which is their beauty collections, which is currently mm-hmm. owned by L'Oreal. And they yeah. do have a perfume called Rive Gauche still to this day. And a lot of the bags, actually, if you go on their website yeah. now, a lot of their bags reference Rive Gauche, which it's is... Like, it's rather than like, or it's like the Maison or, you know, like all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so during the 80s and 90s, they continue expansion through men's and women's fragrances. And unfortunately by like 1992 the fashion house was I don't know why but it was randomly sold to this pharmaceutical company (laughs) I don't know why I wonder if that's also like I don't know if he was in charge of the business but like I wonder if that was kind of like a little example of how unwell he was well I saw an interview with Pierre Berger and he said that they never he was doing the business side of things because yeah. he was like a businessman and you've, he was always the fashion creative side of the business and they never mixed the two. Like okay. they had their own domain and stuff. The thing is with, by the time 92 came along, I don't think the brand was doing as well mm-hmm. as it was previously. So they probably had to sell it yeah. to offload that financial burden or something. Um, so a pharmaceutical company wanted to buy it <laughs> in the late nineties. <laughs> We have our friend again, Elba Elbaz, mm-hmm. and he designed three collections for YSL. So this is when we start to see these other big names of designers yeah. that we know who are still around today, who kind of dip in and out of being creative director at YSL. Anything you want to add so far? No, no, no. Keep okay, going. Okay, Go I'm going. I'm going. 1997. We have. Um, Pierre Berger appoints Eddie Sleman, mm-hmm. who we all know, as the collections and art director. And he relaunches Rive Gauche Men's, um, as we said, which is like the ready-to-wear side of the business. But then Eddie Sleman leaves. <laughs> and right at the end of the 90s, Gucci buys YSL. Mm-hmm. And they ask Tom Ford because... Tom Ford used to be creative director of Gucci. They asked Tom Ford to basically start designing the ready-to-wear and um, to also design, sorry, and he was designing the ready-to-wear whilst Yves Saint Laurent himself, the man himself, would continue to design yeah. haute couture. 2002 comes along and they close haute couture. <laughs> so it's a lot of back and forth and things. Mm-hmm. Um and one quote, which um, I love this quote. Is, I know what okay. you're going to read. <laughs> one quote that he's like famous for saying is that Chanel freed women, women, and I empowered them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is like some real big ball statements, but for sure. But it's also kind of true in a lot of ways because ready to wear is like it's literally huge. Like that's where like high street comes from. Like realistically obviously it's an imitation of stuff but like it just was the birth of affordable readily made clothes for the masses Mm. Mm -hmm. which is which is huge and probably was like the birth of wanting more than that one dress that you had made you Mm -hmm. know it was Mm -hmm. probably that oh um well I feel we don't have to go to the trouble of like this and that um I can buy like a few dresses and maybe that they're, they're supposedly cheaper than custom made and-, mm-hmm. and I think also the silhouette because for those of you who get rid know, of that corset <laughs> yeah, for those who you understand 
the significance of Chanel, she gave women looser fitting clothing and they were more masculine than what mm-hmm. they were previously used to. Yeah, she, so made, she, she basically designed trousers for women. Yeah, and so that's what he means by she freed women. Obviously, mm-hmm. women were talking in a very Eurocentric, like, idea. Um, and he empowered them because the suits that he was making was like, tuxedos are really... Badass. Yeah, like, <laughs> really bold... I well would fitted. happily own one. I would happily oh my God, own yeah. one. Yeah. Um, they're beautiful, but mm. they're like badass pieces of clothing, as you said. Yeah. And they, when you remember like Jade Jagger and she used to wear these YSL suits and it was rock and roll, you know, it was... Rock and roll, baby. Um, you don't like mess around with women like that. And Chanel just does not have that same aesthetic. They're a string of pearls, but yeah. yeah so I can understand that that statement definitely yeah for sure and so like tom ford was there a good a good little while good little Mm -hmm. stint wasn't he Mm -hmm. yep but then he left (laughs) yeah so there's this sort of starts the the revolving door i guess of yves salmeron that so tom ford left in 2004 and they brought in stefano pilati Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who had um, a much more French image that I think people celebrated um, over the sort of Tom Ford, probably more American-y or more, um, more generic sort of look. Um, and then there were some tumultuous years with Steve Stefano Pilati. Mm, well, I don't um, know to what extent it was his fault, but there were store closures during that period so this is around the time as well that Yves Saint Laurent's health has co- totally like disappeared which was kind of I think why the the couture sort of stopped for a bit is he wasn't very well no yeah that would make sense and then he passed away in 2009 no sorry in 2008 sorry mm-hmm. you can't get the year wrong um and so I think that there's there's either probably a, a drop or a huge spike in sales when somebody dies for their brand like Mm -hmm. you know I think it's it's Mm. either or I don't think it just stays the same and they definitely noticed this and I also like as much as couture is very much like it eats away money um for a lot of companies it's Mm -hmm. also the best way to like like just get interest get people excited to mm-hmm. showcase what you can do and that was like that's where Saint started mm-hmm. so I wonder if there was quite a big like oh that's beautiful I can't own that but there's a very like diluted version in mm-hmm. the ready to wear that I can have so I mm-hmm. wonder if that played a role but yeah so then there were some store closures like you mentioned and they were quite big stores they were mm-hmm. in like New York, they were yeah. in Chicago, San Francisco, which are huge markets, mm-hmm. like, I mean, globally. But also and I think the New York day. one had been yes. a- around since the beginning of his yeah. brand. Yeah. Basically like the flagship or whatever you would call it. Mm. Um, and then in 2012, Eddie came back. So this is like some huge in and out sort of thing because in that time as well like Slimane has just worked with Dior and so it's some weird sort of like yeah replicating the very ancestral fashion industry yeah but we all knew that yeah (laughs) and then basically so that happens in 2012 that Slimane comes back Mm -hmm. and in 2015 announces reviving the couture line which is huge that's absolutely Mm. huge but the next year, he leaves. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's all too much. And is replaced by Anthony Vaccarello. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this just continues, basically, with... God. What kind of what we see today, really. The style that we see Anthony Vaccarello put out now is very much based on what Eddie Slaman was doing before. It's really about the the tuxes, the rock and roll vibe, the like 70s aesthetic. And I 
don't know if they're financials, but just anywhere you go, everywhere you go, everyone is after a St. Laurent bag. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was a lot of like controversy with him changing the uh, mm-hmm. typeface of the logo. And rebranding. Yeah, the rebranding essentially. I mean, it's still present on the beauty, the older style. And but like in, clasps of bags. And- yeah, on the details and bits like that. Um, but I mean, it's still, if you go back and look at old pictures of YSL stores, on the front of their stores, it used to say Saint Laurent and it was in a very similar typeface. Mm-hmm. It's not that different to what it was many years ago. When um, I first saw the rebranding, I mm. thought it was a diffusion line. So oh. I thought it was like a mark by mark, mm-hmm, something mm-hmm. like that. And yeah. I didn't really understand that that was just, there was no more YSL. Yeah. I think also because it came at a time when other brands mm-hmm. were, you know, going from a serif font to a sans yeah, serif yeah, yeah. font. And everyone was like, everything is starting to look the same. It's starting to look very brand. It's losing its heritage and things. But I think that it works for them. Their stores are like super sleek, heads mm-hmm. of head to toe marble I think it suits the sort of like rock and roll vibe Mm. that it's always had as well yeah I just think it's kind of catchier it's cleaner it's yeah I'm on board with it to be honest yeah so some of the most popular pieces at the moment are like sac du jour it's Mm -hmm. very structured that's been popular for like a decade I'd say yeah yeah very much I wouldn't mind I wouldn't mind one they've got some really I think cool pieces just going browsing their website everything kind of makes sense mm-hmm. nothing is too like oh I could never where am I gonna yeah, go there's nothing that? too fussy or mm-hmm. and their accessories have a real range they definitely cater for the minimalist but they also have sort of they don't tend to do it across an entire collection but even sort of I guess their equivalent of a camera bag They'll mm. often do like the YSL logo with stars on it or like some sort of like uh, kind of more rock and roll type. Yeah, like very glam going. rock. Yeah, very glam mm. rock. Like they, they'll definitely do different things like that and be playful in their accessories. But like they're also just really wearable and they're also a little bit more affordable than the likes of a Dior and a Chanel. Yeah, definitely. So you can get one of their blazers. I'm using the blazers. word affordable yeah. <laughs> somewhat ironically. <laughs> you can get one of their blazers for like £1,700, which is a lot of money. But, you know, these things just, they are really good quality, yeah. heavy um, blazers. And when you compare it to Chanel's like, what, £4,000 um, mm. boucle tweed jackets, it's, yeah, it's a big difference in price. But if I had that money and I had somewhere to go, I'm getting one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so like there's definitely been sort of a lot of rise and falls in the brand's history, but what brand doesn't have that? And I would say that we've just definitely, I think the rebranding, I know it was quite controversial at the time, but I definitely think it's been it's helped it. It's made it fresher. Mm-hmm. I think it's made it appeal to the young which maybe it didn't before. Definitely. I think it's a brand now for people who maybe, you know, those like younger kids out there who have a lot of money who buy into like mm. the Dior Jordans and they're more into that streetwear level of mm. um, luxury. I think Saint Laurent is that brand that if they were going to dress up in... I swear they've got, like, they've got sweatshirts and stuff like that as well, Yeah, they? they do, like, yeah. You know? They do really cater to that But they were kind audience. of doing that a little bit before other people. I mm. feel like they were also a, a lot more there with the the canvas tote yeah. than, like, I know that's just, like, Dior's territory now that they've got their, like, oh, the embroidered and shopper. Stuff. But, like, like you said, those Reeve Gauche mm-hmm. bags, I feel like those have been around for a really long time and it's still going strong and it's still mm-hmm. it's still there and it's definitely like a great alternative to having something like that that's not Dior mm-hmm. don't get me wrong I do want one of those Dior bags but <laughs> sponsor us Dior I'm like oh just someone send me money yeah <laughs> have you seen that on TikTok it's literally what? someone who's made a song that's like does someone wanna send me some money <laughs> <laughs> 
but yeah. So what, any last thoughts on the significance and impact of the man himself or the brand? What are your parting words? I just think he's just a very one of a kind. He's one of those people that is, you know how like there are some of these designers where they could be you or I, they could be just anybody, but he Mm. was just like a bit of a star. Mm -hmm. Um, And I Mm -hmm. think that it can really tell from his story and the fact that there's been quite a lot of films sort of about him Mm -hmm. and they've really tried to depict his story and there was some kind of interest with like his sort of love life with his partner, but then Mm -hmm. they weren't in love and they were still partners and Mm. all of that stuff. I just think he was, I don't know, he did a lot for fashion in a very short space of time. Yeah. And in fact, the interview that I watched with Pierre Berger Mm -hmm. and he actually summed it up really well he said that Yves Saint Laurent was born with a nervous breakdown <laughs> but you know <laughs> what, like, like sometimes you're either crazy are. exactly yeah. you're to be a designer or a creator you have to be mad artist, you have to be crazy mm-hmm. um, and that's the sort of person he was yeah I mean well luckily he found that you know yeah so that's our episode for YSL Saint Laurent Next week, we'll be doing a topic, are we? Yeah. I think so. We need to (laughs) decide it. (laughs) And, um, yeah, but thanks for listening, guys. If you have any other brands that you'd like us to kind of tackle and talk about, let us know. And we really hope that you have a good 2021. Come on, guys. We got this. It's not really up to us, is it? But we've got this. We can do it. We can do it. Uh, thanks again, guys. Um, I've been Mim. I've been Scarlett. See you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.